0: Jesus can and will do a transformative work in your heart to where you don't want the
1: cookies anymore. Welcome to the New Life Church Podcast, where we dive deep into the timeless truths of the Bible. My name is Jake, and I'm absolutely thrilled to be your host. In each of these episodes, we'll unpack the richness of the Scriptures, exploring how its teachings can bring new life and meaning to our everyday existence. Get ready to be inspired, challenged, and uplifted as we navigate the profound wisdom of the Bible together. This is a place where faith meets daily life. This is New Life Church.
0: And Peter, every time, (laughs) the the Bible opens really as well. Um, Peter is just on this rock, I'm going to build my church. And uh, he he tells Peter to calm down, it's okay, like this stuff must happen. There's a sword and he's cutting off people's ears. Always, like Peter is always like, I'll never, I will never deny you. You know, they'll have to kill me. They'll kill us all, but I got you. I'm, you I'm your man forever. And then a little girl asks him if she even knows him, and he denies three times before the rooster crows. Unbelievable. Things can change, especially toward the end. Let me read this passage of scripture. Now, there was a day when the sons and daughters of Job were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and a messenger came and said, the oxen plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them when the Sabaeans raided them and took them away. Indeed, they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone escaped to tell you. Now, while he was still speaking, another also came and said, the fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, the Chaldeans formed three bands. They raided the camels and took them away, yes, and killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another came and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and suddenly a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they are dead, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose, tore his robe, and shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshipped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all this Job did not sin, nor charge God with wrong. And what follows are about 40 chapters of unmitigated confusion and suffering. There's bad advice. There's friends who come in trying to be helpful. And the most helpful thing they could have done is continue to be quiet. Be very careful about trying to make sense of people's suffering because we're operating with a very limited understanding of God's plans and God's plans for the future. Even whenever you have the very, very best intentions, I was reading recently of a pastor and uh, he had a a precious child who was born with uh, severe birth defects and they got to spend six months with this precious baby before um, it did pass and went to be with the Lord which we do believe that was how that would um, progress. Not everybody does believe that, but the Bible teaches that we believe that God is a just God. Uh, When in doubt, God always does what's right. Then take a genius. God is just. God is love. And so God doesn't do things that contradict that. Sometimes we don't understand how he's being good in the situation, But he is good, and his mercy endures forever. And as as he was suffering through this, um, he literally had someone who was so ignorant, probably well-meaning, came to him and said, I just don't know what you could have done to deserve this. He said that was just the most horrible thing that you could ever say, and it was a pastor. Even our friends, like, be very careful about trying to make sense out of someone else's suffering. It's very arrogant, Right now, here's the tension: We do want to encourage and love people, and we want to point them toward the Word of God, and we we do we want to build them up. Like if they come to a Christian who knows Jesus, who knows God, they ought to get something out of us, right? Right? We we should have some kind of informed uh, a way of just loving people and 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 bringing you know some small context uh, you know of the goodness of God. However, be real careful about putting your um, your hat on of whatever kind, and then acting like you understand suffering. Because you don't. I've walked through things, and even those exact same things, I don't know how they feel and apply in somebody else's life. So start here. God is good. And this is, this is what the author said. Um, he said the best thing that was said to him during that season of loss was God is good and I don't understand how in this moment and in this situation, but one day you will look back and you'll understand that God is good. That's about the best that you can do. Say, I know that God is good and I don't understand how he's being good in this moment, but I know him. That's not something real genius, right? It is not something that you can get uh, a lot of amens over, but we have to be careful about how we address people in suffering. And you're all gonna face that. You're gonna walk through times of suffering and you're also going to be the person that people count on. So make sure you point them toward the goodness of God, Now, here's chapter 42, 12 through 17. So, the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning, for he had 14,000 sheep and 6,000 camels and 1,000 yoke of oxen and 1,000 she-donkeys. He had also seven sons and three daughters. And he called them the name of the first, Jemima, the second, Kezia, and of the third, Karen And in the land, there were no women found so fair as the daughters of Job, and their father gave them an inheritance among their brethren. After this, Job lived 140 years and saw his sons and his sons' sons, even four generations. So the very last scripture there is, so Job died being old and full of days. Heavenly Father, bless the reading of your word. Help me to speak with the authority of the oracles of God that your people will be encouraged, blessed, and brought to greater understanding of the truth of your word. Um, through what is said. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, it, it can be difficult to, to contextualize what we still have to walk through in spite of being saved, in spite of having a God on our side who, who is so good and so powerful and so strong. That It's one of the biggest tensions in serving God is, how can he be good and strong and me still go through bad things? That is tough. If he's, it, you know, it's fine if he's weak and he's good because, yeah, I mean, if he'd helped me, he would, he would have. But you know, it's whatever. And it's and it makes sense from like you know a Thor or Odin perspective, be like, uh, oh, he's strong. He's not very good though. Like he kind of does what he wants, and so it makes sense. Like he's he's very strong and he's powerful. He can kill everything and he can, call it, but but we, you know, we're not really particularly confused because he's not good. So we just you know take what we get. Now, whenever I make the dual claim, though, that he is strong and he is good and sin still remains, then we have a tension that we have to spend a lot of time thinking about in this world, right? We have to understand, uh, if you're strong enough to keep the bad from happening to me and you'd really love me and you want nothing but good for me, what am I doing here? Why am I walking through this? Now, the ultimate truth is that God has created a world that humans messed up through the will, the free will that he has given us, sin entered the world. The Bible says this very clearly. Uh, you know, through, through one man, sin entered the world. Now, through, And through the other man, sin's power and the curse has been broken, which is Jesus Christ. But through Adam, sin entered the world. So we can understand that very, very clearly, correct? And because sin has entered the world, it entered through free will. And because people have free will, and that's how God created us, that's the right, that is what he, uh, to make us who we are, because we're not just machines, we're not robots, we're not automatons, which are just like, you know, wind-up toys. Now, the problem is that when people have free will, they abuse it, and they do wrong. So God has two choices, and due to his nature, he's not going to pick the first, uh, which is to pull all free will out of the whole system and turn us all into NPCs. What is an NPC? A non-playable character. It's somebody who has, you know, no, no will, no brain, no abilities. You know, they just kind of go through life. And so that's what in video games, if you play, it, they're, they're just the background characters that have no, no ability to change or make decisions. They're part of the story. They're like, hello, villager. How are you? And then you walk by and they're like, hello, villager. And they have, no, they have no autonomy. Now, God could have had a whole world of that and in the case of some people's theology they do believe that you know that that's that there there is not really an ultimate free will and that's what it comes down to i could spend weeks studying that out but that is the truth it comes down to that and uh, our biggest problem with that is whenever you force and there is no choice in the love that you derive from somebody or something that's not good there's a term for love that you don't give somebody the choice but to receive it is even referred to in some circles as a holy rape. There's a major force in the Reformed theology that refers to it thus. So you think I'm making this up? I'm not. I'm doing some teaching here. We don't believe that. We believe that by free will, we can accept the love of Jesus Christ through the Father. Now, he, he foreknows, and he knows what we're going to choose because he knows everything, but he also allows humanity the choice And so, um, and here's the teaching on the problem of evil. Because he's not going to do what I just said a few minutes ago that made everybody kind of pucker up, because he won't do that, he has to allow free will, including to the people who abuse it. That's how we have the world that we're in. We have people who God's given a choice to, and they've decided to do evil and wicked. And unfortunately, they live in the same world, in the same atmosphere, in the same culture with the people who would otherwise want to do right and good. And those people... The degradation to which the evil and wicked that they will do and foist into other people is pretty much limitless. That's how we end up with the conundrum. Well, God, if you're all powerful and you're all good, why does bad exist? It exists because choice and autonomy exists, because love exists, because God had no interest in creating a world without love, because it didn't look like him. Now, a world with sin didn't look like him either, and so he began in the great crusade of creation, which was to restore us to him through the blood of Jesus Christ and forgive us of our sins. Amen? It's difficult, though. You know, we're, we, we, we think that, you know, as Christians, we're the child of the great healer. Why are we sick sometimes, right? If he can do it, and sometimes he does, where's the consistency? Jehovah Rapha. Is sometimes we think, you know, God, you should fight our battles. You, you, should, you should help us to win in all of these areas. You're Jehovah Nisi. He says, you're the Lord, our banner. You can, you can make us triumph over our enemies. But this problem, the same problem that Job is experiencing appears when you realize that you're still sick. You're not quite as healed as what maybe you had been led to believe by some bad theology. Bad theology kills. Bad theology hurts. It wounds. And so sometimes people write these checks on God's behalf that don't actually fit into the system of who He is. And so then what happens? We bleed on God for the cutting that happened from some ignorant person who didn't rightly uh, teach the Word of God. And you got to be real good at dividing those two and not, have, and not blaming God for bad teaching. But also, I think that Christians feed into this narrative as well. It's not just the pastors and preachers. I've seen people um, who, who feel such pressure to, uh, to assimilate into that narrative of everything's fine. They lie, and you're like, I know you're not okay. Oh, yeah, I am. Bless God. I feel great. Yeah, bleeding. They're so bought into the narrative that they're not even comfortable with suffering. And they're not comfortable uh, with ever even admitting that they're walking through difficult things. And so they, they create this false narrative and this, this exterior of everything's all right. And, and so that for a young believer who's actually trying to be genuine, to be like, I feel terrible. Like, I, I don't feel like this is going well. I have some questions about why is this, this, this? But all the older Christians, they're so bought into the narrative of pretending things are okay when they're not uh, that now that person who's trying to be genuine, they feel like they have no place and they're not even saved. I have seen that. I've experienced that. I'm like, you know, am I the only one who's weird? And if so, I should just give up because apparently everybody else is, right? Because they won't be transparent about any of their struggles or issues. Like they never ask for any prayer. They never ask for any help. They never show uh, anything that would make you think that there's any problem with anybody. And so I walk in here and I'm a mess and I know it. And I feel like I'm being forced to buy into a narrative that is not true and not believable. They're all pretending. We have to be careful not to be that way. Now, I'm not saying don't have faith about your situation. I'm not saying don't trust God and say, uh, you know, I am suffering, but I know that God is good. That's good. That's healthy. That's good teaching. That and that's a good example. Say, now I am. I do not feel good. <laughs> you know, uh, I am discouraged in this moment. And and you know, I even struggle with that as a pastor. Like, how much do you need to just set the course and just say, God is good all the time, and I feel awesome. I slept great last night. Two hours was awesome finances, you know, like I'm, I'm just so blessed, I'm just so, you know, so blessed that, you know, you know, giving up, you know, all this, my stuff, you know, like I didn't want it anyway, Yeah, you know, it's great, I'm in terrible shape, but bless God, you know, I'm happy. I think, you know, like, I think that's a problem whenever people pretend to that degree that they don't struggle or that they, and, and you know, you don't want to glorify struggling and weakness either, right? So there's a balance, there's a balance that, that we don't have as humans. You, you know, humans are the least balanced you know, of all creation. If a dog's mad, it'll bark. You know, if a deer, you know, if a deer's hungry, it eats. Like, there's not a lot of lying going on. There's not a lot of faking, uh, you know, in creation. But I tell you what, with humanity, we're so unbalanced. We can't do anything. Like, we can't just have something nice. We have to worship it. You know? We can't, we can't just uh, you know, we, we can't just be happy with one thing. We have to go severe, we have to cut off 100 percent and then get weird about it. Oh, I've been waiting to teach this for a long time. Who has heard of Frog and Toad? It's this old, old, you know, it's kind of like Beatrix Potter who did Peter Rabbit, right? But there's a lot of timeless truths in the Frog and Toad books, and you read them to your kids. Um, and so at one point, Frog and Toad um, receive a box of cookies. So they receive this box of cookies, and they are delicious, and they sit there, Frog and Toad, and they eat a couple cookies. And Frog says, my, these are good cookies. Toad says, they are. Let's have another. And so they continue to eat the cookies. And then they've eaten three and four. The box is still quite full, but they're starting to not feel that good. And so Toad says to Frog, he says, Frog, we should not eat any more cookies. Toad says, You're right, Frog. We should should not, as he ate another cookie. And so they continue on. And they said, and so then Toad says to Frog, he says, Toad says to Frog, "Um, Frog, we should close the lid on the cookies, because we've eaten far too many cookies. So Toad said, Yeah, absolutely. let, Let us close the lid. But then momentarily, Toad says, You know, frog we could open the lid and they open the lid and they eat a few more cookies. So then, uh, the story progresses. And then frog says to toad, you know, we've eaten two more cookies than we said we would after we closed it. Let us tie the string back around it. And he said, that'll, that'll work. And so they tie the string, they sit there for about two minutes. And then toad says to frog, frog, we could untie the string. And they untie the string. They eat three more cookies. And then, Finally, Toad says, I know what to do, Frog. Let us set them on a high shelf where we cannot reach them. And Toad says, I think that might just do it, Frog. And they set it on a high shelf, and they go back into the living room. They sit, they look at each other. And Frog finally says, we could get a ladder. And they go back, and they eat the rest of the cookies. This is deep, systematic theology. Because... The Pharisees and the legalists became excellent at putting cookies on higher shelves when the problem all along was this that they still, the people still wanted cookies. And you're wondering how many different, how many different guards you need to put on your phone to keep you from looking at those things that you shouldn't look at. And while I encourage using anything that might be a help or a blessing, I would posit to you that. Jesus can and will do a transformative work in your heart to where you don't want the cookies anymore. The Pharisees never understood that. They never had Jesus, to be fair, though. They said, um, you know, on the Sabbath day, let's do this, 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 and this. And they literally had marked out how many steps you could take or how much weight down to the ounce that you could lift. But the point wasn't that. The point was the heart. They said, as far as, as what you can wear, and what your sleeve length needs to be, and what exactly you need to do and how, and every time the people still sinned. Because the heart was not even being addressed. They kept putting them on a higher and higher shelves. And, and so and so the, the Pharisees, we, we come into Jesus in the middle of this thing and he is literally nuking the whole system and saying, it's not about this. It's not about that. what shelf you put it on. It's about the fact that my people still want the cookies and they haven't been transformed by the blood of Jesus Christ, by a true, uh, their nature hasn't changed at all. Now, that's not flying in the face of, of disciplines. Yeah, you should have discipline and you should set something and stick to it. You know, you're gonna battle the flesh. But if there's a fundamental problem of like, it's not in here. Well, it'll never get here. You need a change in your heart. You know, the, the disciples say, "How many times should I forgive somebody?" Jesus, seven times. It's a big number. And Jesus, he, even though he does throw out a number, it's kind of like he says double infinity. You know, it's it's more of a, just a way of saying keep on forgiving. Because it's not about the performance. It's not about setting a bar um, that, you know, and then once they cross the threshold of seven times into the eighth thing, now you can cut them off. He's like, no, you're missing the point. I want you to be somebody who just does without keeping score. I want to set the number so high that it doesn't even matter anymore because you're like I'm making it so, so far out that there's just no way that you, they're ever going to cross that because you need a fundamental change in your heart. So in the theology of toad and frog who make great Pharisees, they continue to fix a problem by just making tighter and more constricting rules to where at that point, the Pharisees have controlled everything and they're still sinning. Like Jesus comes and says to one, he says, I know what you're doing. You know that you're supposed to financially take care of your aged parents. So you have worked your property around through a sneaky deal to where you're not showing a profit basically, and you're loaning out this stuff, stuff up here. And so you found a loophole in the law that allows you to break the heart and the spirit of it and I rebuke you for it. You found oh yeah you found a way you found a way to to, to work within the system and there's all and there's always going to be a way there's always going to be a way to get the cookies back and you're going to lie you're going to find loopholes in the scripture and you're gonna you're gonna say oh yeah well technically if I do it this way or like oh but I didn't say that I didn't say that I don't even know what that was but you know what it was right. There, there's so many different ways um, you know, to to be sneaky and to continue to work against uh, the Spirit of God. Um, but Jesus wants to fulfill such a deep work in your heart that he's changed you. Jesus wants to so fundamentally and truly change you that you wouldn't really even need a laundry list of stuff. That's what it is to be changed into the image of Christ. That's what it is to truly be impact and to become a new creation, right? Uh, and that when you take ownership and you have a new identity, Steph, you got a bunch of kids, they're doing their chores, but until they want it to look right and they're proud of it and they know somebody's coming over, you know, like I did get those shoes and pick them up. I didn't get my sandals though. You didn't say sandals. Yeah. That's the type of stuff I'm talking about. They will always be that until you truly want to be like Jesus. And so I am going to ask you one of the most fundamental questions that I could ever ask you. Do you want to be like Jesus? Really, though? Truly. Because you know what it actually means. Now, I'm not talking about, do you want to check off just enough boxes to stay in the club? Yeah, in the Jesus club. I'm saying when you think about the most fundamental struggles that you have and the areas that are not maybe fully submitted, I mean, kind of they are, by the letter of the law, but you know the spirit of the law is still not right. No, my spirit's not. I know that I've just found a loophole there. And you have to ask yourself this question. Do I still want this or not? Because a Christian who wants to sin will find a way to justify it or otherwise. If you want to hold a grudge, you will. If you want to, to be unforgiving, you'll find a way to dress it up, sanctify it, shine it up, and present it right along with all the other virtues that you have. And you, and maybe other everyone else will never know the difference, but you'll know in the end that it wasn't truly submitted to God. And you gotta ask yourself, do I still want the cookies or not? And in this moment, you can offer that up to God if you want to, and say, "God, i have never even asked myself, do I want this or not, and really meant it. But I'm asking, and now I'm getting the answer. I would rather walk with you, unimpeded. I don't know if that's your answer or not. I'm saying that's what an answer could be. The other answer would be, I want to continue to—I want to continue to kind of hold this one back." full submission of the heart. Dallas Willard once said, Jesus did not call us simply to do what he did, but to be who he was, truly conformed to the image of Christ. Because if we just do what he did, then we get to a position in our life, a situation, a dynamic where he didn't have that. He never faced that, so now we don't have to be like him. But to truly be changed into the very image of Christ means that we're no longer just doing what he did, you know, following a script. We're now
1: being who he was. Today, we deep-dived into the essence of being like Christ, experiencing a fundamental change so profound that it reshapes the core of who we are. It's not just about avoiding sin out of obligation, but reaching a place where the desire to sin is overshadowed by our desire to please the Lord. This is the freedom that comes with salvation, not to live in sin, but in the fullness of righteousness, driven by an internal transformation rather than external constraints. It's crucial to acknowledge the ongoing tension we face with our human nature and the struggle between the desires of the flesh and of the spirit. But in those moments of struggle, remember that God's grace is sufficient and his strength becomes ever evident when we, in our weakness, rely on him. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the New Life Church podcast. We are truly grateful for each and every one of our listeners, so thank you. For a full transcription of today's sermon and more resources, head over to our website at newlifechurchspringfield.com. I can't wait to dive into the next episode with you. Until then, stay connected, stay inspired, and God bless. See you next time.